Hey, you're listening to the Subclub Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Our guest today is Ron Snyderman, CEO at All Trails, the ultimate guide for outdoor adventures. All Trails was early to the consumer subscription space, launching a $3 a month premium tier way back in 2012. Ron joined as CMO and COO in 2015, and then took over as CEO in 2019, helping to grow all trails to over 1 million subscribers and tens of millions of active users worldwide. On the podcast, we talk with Ron about the magic of consumer subscriptions, experimenting with freemium strategies, and how private equity isn't always as bad as you've been led to believe. Hey, Ron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really looking forward to the chat today. Um, I wanted to just kick it off. I mean, most people know what, know what All Trails is, and it's a fantastic brand in that it kind of tells you what it is right there on the tin. Uh, <laughs> but what's your, what's your pitch? I mean, we're in 2021, post-pandemic. What's the, uh, give us the, the short version of uh, what is All Trails? What, it, what does it mean? Yeah, so All Trails is a, it's a free app and website that helps you find trails all over the globe so you can spend more time enjoying the outdoors and spending time in nature. That's awesome. That's a very nice mission. That's way more like beautiful than helping developers make more money. Both important, both important, <laughs> but I can smell that. Like that's it smells like piney and I like it. Yeah, it smells like the Colorado forests. I haven't <laughs> been hiking forever, and and uh, doing all the research to uh, how, to chat with you today was like, oh man, I need to go hiking more. I hear there's a great app for that. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so so I I did want to also ask uh, kind of about your your journey to to all trails. So you um, got there fairly early, and then um, grew in, and they're now CEO, but. Just tell me uh, off the bat, what led you to All Trails way back in 2015 when it was just six people? Yeah, um, I guess to answer that, I'm going to go a little bit further back in time. Yeah, um, my first job right after college was at Accenture at a global management consulting firm, and you know it was great. It was great, uh, good jumping off point. Learned a ton. I didn't know anything going into that job, and you know you get the rubber stamp and it opens doors and stuff. But by the end of my let's see, third year there, I kind of had that, the realization, I don't know, maybe epiphany is a little too strong of word, but I I just kind of realized like, I can't, I can't take a job just for money again. You know, like the amount of time and energy that I was putting into it and the the, the lack of work-life balance, it it really made me rethink what, (laughs) who who do I want to be? Who does working Ron want to be? Um, and so I, 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 I was able to parlay that Accenture job into um, a, a biz dev role over a Hotwire, an online travel company. And that was really where it opened my eyes. Like, oh my God, I am so much happier. And I am honestly so much better when I'm working at something that I'm just personally passionate about. And that, that guiding principle is really held through throughout my career trajectory. You know, from, from Hotwire, I went and did my own startup in the ski space. I love to ski. Um, so I did that for nine years. That was a ton of fun. And then I was over at Yelp doing growth for a bit. You know, I love finding like non-chain restaurants and supporting mom and pop businesses and stuff. And I, I live in Yelp. So that was great. And then when the opportunity for Ultra presented itself, it was just kind of a, a no brainer. Like I am, of course, I'm going to take this, of course. And one, I'll say this too, one little addendum. One of the things I learned along the way too is I am not a zero to one guy. Like that is not when I am at my best. That just causes me stress and anxiety and just, you know, figuring out like how to keep the lights on for another day. Um, and so again, like knowing kind of that sense of self knowing like, all right, like I'm best at B2C, I'm best using, you know, I'm at my best when I'm using products I, I personally want to use and like talking about, and I like hyper growth. And I think that's probably my, my sweet spot. So it starts kind of aligned when, uh, when all showed up. Yeah, and then how how did that go? From you joined the company as CMO, right? And then um, what was the progression inside the company to eventually taking over as CEO? Yeah, so I joined as CMO and COO. Um, I don't know why I really wanted to to have both. Like I didn't want to just be CMO in a vacuum, but not have any ownership or agency over kind of team composition and strategy and stuff. So I thought that it was really really important and. 
when you're a six person company, you know, it's pretty easy to <laughs> grab titles. It's not like I had to take right. it. Anymore. I, mean, I was going to ask like, I mean, it's, it's not like you see this a lot where it's like a six person company and they have like five C levels and you're like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, like my title, for example, but like, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, you like your background, you founded a company, like you were like a real CX, whatever, right? Like, it's not like it was fake. So how did, how did that, how did you go as like an executive, like choosing your next thing to like, like that had to be a hell of a pitch <laughs> to get you to like join a tiny little like team like that. You know, I think I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking through again, like, I don't know, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I was, I was a little bit bored at the end of my tenure at Yelp. I love Yelp. It's a great company, but it was just, it was too big for me. And so I spent a lot of time thinking through what's next. Again, that whole question, like zero to one, do I need, do I, do I need to start something myself or what? So the, the smallness didn't bother me. I actually really liked the smallness because it's almost like, it was almost like a cheat code. Like I got to do a startup like basically from scratch, but I didn't have to do it from scratch. And then they had, they had a kernel of something at that they stage. They did. Right? They did. And you know, it was actually to, to give my predecessor credit. It was, it was actually more than that. Like they had, they had solid product market fit from a monetization perspective. And then what really got me across the line was their product channel fit. And I feel like that's often overlooked and that's something you kind of pick up in time. Like, it's not just like, is this a product people are willing to pay money for, but just straight up, how are you going to get this out to market? And can you, can you do it in a way that is, you know, viable and scalable and, and ultimately, you know, going to be, be more efficient than, you know, it, it's kind of like net out, right? Like the, the whole LTV yeah. cack thing and everything that, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's something more efficient than paying for every single install, right? Exactly. And so... You know, it, it felt like there was good bones, you know, maybe it was like a, a fixer upper kind of house, um, but it had good bones. Like it had, it had the foundation in place. It had, and, and I could see, you know, it, back in 2015, um, the product sucked. It did. It sucked. Uh, and, and what was shocking after I came was how bad the data was. I didn't realize that when I was kind of doing my own diligence. Um, but it was all, you mean like analytics on the internally, what the company knew about itself, or you mean like the, the, the trail data, the trail data, like the trail data that we're (laughs) showing, you know, and that's, that stuff's high consequence. Um, and so that was like a hard pivot, uh, within a couple of months, like, all right, this is a, you know, all hands on deck thing to, we are not doing anything else until we figure this out. Um, but again, it just, it felt like there was a diamond in the rough in this one Mm -hmm. and you know, I've been here six years now and I, I, I can say like unequivocally, this is the highlight of my career. Maybe I just got lucky. I don't know, but um, man, like, yeah, this has been a, a really, really great run so far. I was just going to ask about the that channel and, and monetization fit. I mean, I guess this was, maybe I'm jumping ahead in our agenda here, but um, but yeah, they were already charging a subscription before you got there, right? In in terms of like monetization, um, and maybe like describe that model a little bit and and how that has changed. Yeah, I had never done a subscription business before coming here, so this was my first subscription business. And I'll t- I mean that you you guys already know this. I'm sure your listeners already know this too. But um, subscription businesses are magical. Oh my goodness, compared to like. <laughs> e-commerce where you're trying to rewin, you know, the transaction every single time. I know I was looking at Hotwire just now when you mentioned it and I was just thinking about like how many of those there were at that era, right? Like and right. still are. Like when you go to book a hotel on Google and they're like, oh here's 15 different sites you can actually like book it through. It's like woof. Oh it's so tough. Same with Liftopia. Yeah. Liftopia oh, yeah. the ski startup. It was the same thing, right? Um, you know, but, but with a much smaller niche and segment. And then, and then Yelp is, you know, they're, they're kind of the media model and then trying to, you know, kind of pivot more towards like B2B and subscriptions for businesses and value added services and stuff. Um, and coming here doing a, a consumer subscription business, uh, an annual subscription, uh, the auto renews, it's like an annuity. Like it just builds up every single year. Like, obviously like you can't take retention for granted. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but you know, just if you're able to kind of, you know, do a, do a pretty good job on, on the retention side and just see this thing build up and just raise the tide every single year that I've been here and have it just, it's that much more momentum that just gets like brought into each new fiscal year for us. It's just, it's incredible. It is incredible the leverage that it offers. So that was cool. That was definitely <laughs> uh... one of those good bones you're talking about, right? Like... Yeah. yeah. And that's what I was going to ask. So you, you say the bones were good. Um, 
you know, Alltrails had launched their subscription in 2012, so about three years before you joined. What was the state of that? And that that's really early in the kind of consumer subscription software space. Super early. Was there a lot of pushback? Was like, how was traction, chargebacks, and things like that? Was the bones were there, but were there some serious doubts or questions in your mind as to how this subscription app space was going to play out? Yeah, I mean, so can I can I share a secret with you guys? <laughs> I honestly didn't know that our subscription business lost in, in 2012 until you guys showed me the research that you did leading up to this. <laughs> I had always thought that uh, it launched with our apps. We launched our apps in, I think, early 2015. I joined in, in September 2015. Um, and I just lumped everything together just in that, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, prehistory. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> so I, I, I had always thought that it that we had launched it when our apps launched, but I guess we we were on the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of the subscription space here. So, so, but that, then I'm then I'm correct to assume that you know if you launched a subscription in 2012, it was on the web. If you didn't have yes. apps until yeah, yeah, yeah. 20, 2015, right? right? Yeah. Which I mean, my my experience, I guess I've been on All Trails website, but like my vast majority of experience has been on the web, right? Because I'm like. Or sorry, on the on the phone because I'm going for a hike and I'm like I need a map and like boom, there's all trails, right? Which I guess is that channel fit you're talking about. Yeah, and that's been that's been one of the cool things when I started. So a couple couple I guess data points um, just to show like sort of that that snapshot in time of 2015. Um, we probably had 20,000 uh, subscribers at that point, maybe a million cumulative registered users since 2010 when we first launched, and maybe 20,000 active paying subs. And in January of this year, we put out uh, a press release. We don't normally do that, but it was two pretty cool milestones. We had cracked 25 million registered users and a million paying subs um, at the start of this wow. year. So, you know, again, like the, 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 the unlock has been really cool and, and very, very powerful. Um, but the other thing, like you said, like this was, you know, a web-driven subscription business at first. When I, when I first started here, uh, probably 70% of our of our web traffic was desktop, desktop to mobile, 70-30. And obviously that's inverted wow. uh, since then. And then mo the, the, the mobile apps, the native apps are by far the best form factor for what we're trying to do. Like you said, Jake, like take it with you on the go, the navigation, the GPS stuff, everything baked in there. Um, and so that's become really the workhorses of, of subscription business and, and of our overall uh, UGC file as well. Yeah, I mean, it's so helpful. Um... You guys have good SEO. When you search a trail, it comes up on all trails, right? But that's, I would imagine, like this stage, probably mostly like demand gen for the app. That's right? exactly like, it. No, that's exactly yeah. it, right? So our SEO, our legacy SEO, this is again one of the beauties of being around for 11 years and counting. We have this amazing legacy SEO. And that's, that was that product channel fit that brought me here. It was the, the sales pitch was he just showed me Google Analytics. <laughs> He's just like, look, <laughs> look at all of this free traffic. There's like hyper local, very valuable data, right? High Index. intent. And if, you're, and if you're the winner, that's a great real estate to have. I know. And, and so what we've been doing, obviously, as um, sort of consumer behavior has changed and gone mobile first, is um, we're able to parlay all of that mobile first SEO traffic into incremental organic app installs. And that's a huge driver of our business, we get millions and millions of incremental app installs that we don't pay a dime for every month. Yeah, and going back to your point, like, yeah, not having to push the ball up the hill completely is a bit, you know, you think about a compounding annuity analogy as you made, right? Like the cost of that compounding really, you know, if you net out the whole asset, right? Like that's gonna be a big part of it is like, how much does it cost to push that 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 flywheel up a little bit? It's a moat for our business too, you know, I've, you're around long enough you're, and you're doing something good, you're going to see a ton of competitors start flooding into the space, which is great as validation of what we're doing. But the that product market fit, product channel fit conundrum is is real. It's real. And, you know, I see really great products, you know, beautifully designed products that just crank, can't crack the code on either of those. And then they kind of, you know, wither on the vine, right? Like, mm -hmm. See it all the time. No, that was actually my next question is that in those early days, and you already said when you joined and, and when y'all launched the apps in 2015, they were crap. <laughs> so take me, 
how did you go from this crap app and what experimentation, what pain, what suffering did it take? There's some, you? there's some old, there's some like uh, old guard at, at all trials that are going to listen to this and be like, go to apps crap. <laughs> they were great. But what did it take? And what was the approach to, to find you, you had some level of product market fit, but then to actually build a great product around those early signs. There, there were a couple of philosophical things that we decided immediately. One was around funding. Do we want to go take funding um, and try and do this faster? Do we want to do this kind of organically? And my predecessor had done a small seed round. I think he raised 3 million bucks in 2012. Um, and we were still kind of drafting off of that. And then there was a little bit of subscription revenue and then a whole bunch of just, you know, classic entrepreneur head on a swivel stuff, like let's throw a bunch of shit up on the wall and like, let's see what, what we can do. So there's, you know, a media play and programmatic ads and whatever, right. Just trying to buy time more than anything, right. Like keep the servers running a little <laughs> bit longer, but we decided, we very intentionally decided not to take funding. We wanted to control our own destiny. And part of it, to be clear, part of it was the, the handshake agreement with the original founder um, was to grow it and sell it. He wanted us to, to, to sell it. And so, um, so then if that was kind of the, the mandate, then it's like, well, why would we even just, you know, deal with the, the opportunity costs and the headache of going out and trying to raise funds? Um, that's a pain in the ass. So, you know, it was like, <laughs> let's just, let's put our heads down. Especially, especially for a consumer subscription company in 2015. Oh like, my God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> ben kind of been party to that. It's not, it's, it wasn't easy. Let's put no, it that way. I tried doing it in 2005, by the way. Anyways, um, but so we decided to put our heads down and just say super scrappy, super scrappy, super lean. And so um, it just came down to like relentless prioritization. And essentially what we ended up doing was triaging sort of a different funnel metric each quarter, right? So one quarter is like, we got to tackle bounce rate. All right, now we got to tackle signup rate. Now we got to tackle pro conversion rate. Now we got to tackle retention. And we just kind of spent cycles um, through 2016 and through 2017 just each, each quarter, just like laser focus in on that one metric and do what we can and then move. Um, and it worked because by the end of 2017, we actually achieved profitability, which was cool, uh, which was really, really great. You yeah. know, like we wanted, I'm, again, when you've been around the block long enough, you talk to enough entrepreneurs, you've seen, you've seen enough. Um, there's so many examples of people going and getting too much funding too soon. And then they develop <laughs> bad habits, right? Never heard of that. So, you know, but so you see it, right? Like the, you, you get the uh, unsustainable growth channels. Again, the, the product channel fit question, like how are you actually going to bring this to market? And how are you going to do it when that VC money dries up? Like, is this actually- How are you going to 5X that VC money, right? Right. Is this sustainable or are you just- connecting yourself to the next round of, of funding. You can put and, yourself and, in, a, in a, a dead man's corner, right? Where you're not, your market's not big enough, whatever, and you end up killing an otherwise like really great business. You know? Totally. And I, you know, I'd seen that. I'd seen that. Um, I really didn't want to do that here. It felt like because so much of our growth was coming through SEO, it felt like obviously there was an opportunity, which, which we later unlocked on the ASO side of things. It felt like even beyond both of those, though, it's just like word of mouth and PR and viral loops and network effects and product market fit is a broad thing, right? Like yeah. <laughs> growth kind of if you have a really good product and it serves a niche, like growth just starts to starts to go. And especially organic growth, right? Like and that was really the big key. It was like, do we need to be like one of these D to C companies and just raise millions of dollars for Instagram ads? Or can we can we do something that's more sustainable uh, for the long haul? And that was, that was one of the bets. The other big bet that we placed was um, from a brand positioning perspective. So my, you know, when I came in, the app was definitely geared towards like the, the through hikers and search and rescue and, and the hardcore, like, you know, backcountry folks. And the, the challenge with, with, with that segment is that there's always these, you know, really esoteric and extreme product requirements that they want because they're, they're edge cases. They're by definition all edge cases. And in this space in particular, a lot of them are kind of living the, you know, the van life life, um, you know, trying to live as, as frugally as possible. Uh, and so they don't want to really pay you any money either. It's like, this isn't a good growth segment. We gotta, we gotta <laughs> rethink this one. And so uh, I've, I've told this story a lot, you know, this straw man to this day still is, is my wife. 
where like she likes going outside with me. You know, she's always down to go on a hike, um, you know, spend time outside. We have three kids totally trying to raise them on the trail. Um, we have a dog who loves being on the trail. And but but if I'm not there, you know, she's she's not going out there. Right. So it's like, OK, OK, maybe here's the play. Like what what if we use technology to kind of tear down the barriers for entry, like instill confidence, whether through like product functionality or content, but really make it so that someone like my wife and the hundreds of millions of people around the globe like her who who know that they feel better when they time spend in nature, they're just a little scared to do it. Like, can we help augment that? Can we help supplement that? And I think that's going to be the unlock. And that was the big bet. That was the other big bet that we placed in 2015. And, you know, and just to summarize, I understand it's like to kind of not ignore these like extreme users that are on the ed on the edges. You'll serve them, but maybe not in the way that they would want. But like, let's focus on you know this larger segment. I mean, I think that's a thing. Even some good found advice that's good for founders sometimes doesn't always apply to like B two C stuff. Sometimes where it's like, yeah, like listen to your most vocal users often there's something there but like with an ounce of like moderation because yeah they can lead you in really strange places and think about the network the, think about the like user maybe you're not talking to or the next you're saying next 100 million users that you have to get um and that's potentially a much bigger surface area right and that doesn't mean you're going to abandon those core users like they might grumble a little bit and they might not be totally served by your use case and like that's maybe just life um but but you know you've now Potentially, like if you think about you know the mission of just getting people outdoors, like you've achieved that much better by going for this much larger market segment, right? Yeah, and they're not mutually exclusive. It's just which one are we right. prioritizing? Which one are we preferencing? And how are we, you know, what kind of language are we? Are we using lingo or not? Right? Are we making this accessible for everybody or not? For imagery, right? Are we doing like, you know, Alex Honnold like dangling one handed off of a cliff? <laughs> <laughs> or or just or just a picture of the end the end cap at an REI, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Or or just like, you know, a family like smiling and having fun out in nature together. You know, like, all right, it doesn't cater to the core, but they're not necessarily gonna like walk away because they see that stuff either. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that comes to channel fit as well, right? Like not your product fit and your who your product's oriented for and that like B2C, you kind of, you can't divorce the two. Like you can't have totally independent marketing and channel channels for the product itself, which maybe you could get away with a little bit in B2B. Um, but, but, uh, but they, but they don't necessarily have to be like completely like linked, you know, you can kind of serve both niches on the, on the product side to your point. Yeah. And, and speaking of getting more folks out in the mission of all trails, I'd love to hear about your freemium strategy. Cause that's a, a huge part of it. Like what, Early on, what was your approach and then how did that evolve over time as far as what features you do give away for free to kind of reach the broadest audience possible and then what things you paywall to actually get paid? Yeah. And, I, and, and I'd like to highlight how, Ron, when we asked you to describe all trails, you put free in the name, which I'm sure was very intentional, right? You said it is a free app, right? It is not a premium app. I mean, it is a premium app, but, but highlight the free. So yeah, with that framing. <laughs> well, well, tell us about your free app. <laughs> There's, this is a this is a an ongoing, like not not debate, but um, it's an open question always, and we're constantly like asking our employees and our board, like, let's challenge our assumptions here. Just because we did something a certain way last year doesn't mean we need to do it this way. Like, let's constantly reevaluate this. Uh, for us, there's sort of three main buckets. We have free unauthenticated users. And then we have free registered users. So kind of that registration wall is like the first key funnel uh, metric. And then there's um, pro subscribers, right? So we have two, two kind of core um, success metrics. One is registration rate and one is pro conversion rate. And then what goes in front and behind of the paywall and the reg wall, the registration wall is constantly in flux, constantly in flux. We actually just did this really fun workshop uh, a couple of weeks ago internally here. It was like the history of all trails pro and just showing kind of which features started when I, you know, again, in 2015, like what was the, the pro feature set, how much of those we actually ended up pulling in front of the reg wall and new features that we put back behind the paywall. So I feel like we're constantly in a state of experimentation here. Um, we've been, we've been experimenting with that since day one, we've been, uh, experimenting with pricing also on day one. Uh, and there's still, I don't feel like we've cracked the code at all, at all. When I, when I first started here, Altros Pro was 50 bucks a year. 
And I, I spent the first like two months just trying to get as, as much like, uh, obviously all the quant data that I could get my hands on, but as much qualitative data as I could get to. So reading every app store review, every Reddit thread, every you know blog post, just talking to customers, all of it. And, and aside from everyone, telling us that our data sucked and, you know, we, we got them lost or we got them tickets from um, the park ranger for telling them to bring a dog when it's not that friendly, whatever it was. Uh, the other piece of feedback that we got was like 50 bucks, like that's way too much. Um, and so we immediately started testing pricing and, and, and we tested it at 30 bucks a year and we tested it at 15 bucks a year too. kind of, all right, if we really just take that price down is uh, the in incremental um, purchase rate. Uh, going to offset, you know, the the change in net revenue per transaction. Um, they were about a wash, which is really interesting from a net revenue perspective. Fifteen bucks a year versus thirty bucks a year was was basically flat, but we went with thirty because it gave us more maneuverability. We could do more um, for the folks who were like price sensitive, do do discounting, intro offers, whatever. At fifteen, we really couldn't go any low lower, so it's just like this is it for everybody all the time. Um, but even that we're revisiting now and thinking through like, all right, maybe are there, are there different tiers we've never done monthly before? So what is, what is a world in which there's a monthly pro I don't, I don't love it. I mean, again, annual is magic. Like why mess with a good thing, but there is a, a cohort of users, especially outside of the U S where that's a pretty high barrier. Oh, I mean, I live in the Midwest. Like I would, I only need your app from, from April to, to November, right? Like I really don't need to pay all year. For the, the two weeks in October where yeah. you get nice weather. Yeah. I, well, right. But, but I mean, I think there's the counter argument there of the simplicity. It's like, yeah, sure. But like whatever your value is, so you're, 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 this is the price. I really, I, I've seen that effect before on the price experimentation. You just end up with the same area under the curve, like no matter how you move it. And some apps are like that. Some apps are not. Um, but I do think it's really fascinating, the wisdom of crowds, right? And just how like they know, like the 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 masses have priced and valued your product, right? And they're yeah. just like showing that like it's very efficient, right? No matter where it goes. Um, then you can come down to like, yeah, some of those it's almost a good place to be because then yeah, you have that like you can choose where you want it to price. You can basically you're freed from the like fiduciary duty of like maximum extraction and you can like like just focus on like okay what's gonna what's right for us for some of those goals on company growth and stuff like that and what's right for the mission and then like also give yourself some like tactical opportunities in terms of discounting and 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 other stuff like this and then positioning as well like what is it like i think that's almost as important as like how do you see right how do you see all trails like how do you see it as it like what's the value of perception like a 30 dollar skew and a 50 and a 15 those are very different, right? Those yeah. are, you know, I think about consumer goods on those scales. That's like a, each one of those things has like a different like feel to it, right? Totally. So. And and then on top of it, though, our business is driven by UGC, right? We have this this classic UGC flywheel, and so obviously we know our pro users are more engaged, but a ton of engagement comes from our free users as well. And so you can't kind of uh, turn the screws on them too hard without like really fundamentally damaging the business. What kind of user generated content is it like pictures and updated and stuff or what what's the Yeah, what's ratings, the reviews, photos, recordings, um, you know, there and and then there's this also this virtuous cycle that we have this beautiful relationship we have with our users where they they help us create as well as curate our trail content. So that's the thing with trail content just to go down this rabbit hole for a sec. Trail content super fluid. Like it's not like streets that are that are relatively static. You know, with trails, you get you get flooding, you get fires, you get maintenance, you get development, um, down trees, whatever. Like they're constantly in a state of flux, and it's really, really hard to stay on top of it. We can't do it alone, and so we have. And there's this, not. It's not like it's not like roads where there's like a national database, right? Of like uniform data. That you yeah, no, from. not at all, right? So we, we do. <laughs> but there like, is. It's called all trails. <laughs> we have right? this like really beautiful symbiotic relationship with our with our users, you know, and and it's kind of like we both get value from each other, and we're both very transparent about like the relationship. Like you guys help us, and you help the community, right? And we'll package it. We'll we'll keep improving and investing in the product experience and everything else. And again, like this is where it seems to be working. But this is when when we're talking about like. The, the the choke points in the funnel that that reg wall and the pro conversion wall. Th this is the thing that's top of mind over all of it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I did want to move on and talk about in 2018, All Trails raised uh, 75 million, led by Spectrum Equity, 
And so, so I'm curious about that, about that story. So, uh, I know, you know, the plan was to sell and then you've shared on other podcasts that, uh, part of that was the founder taking, taking some money, kind of his exit event. Um, but I'm really curious just from like a company building perspective, I think so many founders and entrepreneurs think, oh, if I can just get more money, if I can just, you know, hire more people, everything's going to be easier. Uh, but I imagine that's not the full story. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about the raise, but then also kind of how that changed the company and changed the trajectory. Yeah. So like I said earlier, right, the, the handshake agreement was to grow and sell it. So we knew going in exactly what the deal was. Um, and once we hit profitability in 2017, it, it kind of felt like, all right, it's probably next year's probably our year. And we got an inbound from one of the big tech companies early, you know, probably end of Q1 of, of 2018. And so I was like, all right, game on, right? This is it. We'll go get a bank. Um, we'll run a formal process here. And we started going through it. We started going through it. This was actually, it was fun, right? Like I got to put together sort of like, all right, here's our top 100 strategic partnerships broken out by category, broken out by vertical. Here's like the, the you know, the accretive value. Here is, you know, the, the investment credit. It was like a really fun thought exercise. And, you know, we're talking to online travel companies and real estate companies and obviously like the retailers and just so many different types of companies out there. And we ran a process and it was, it was fun. But as, and as we were going through it, um, well, a couple of things happened. One is our, our business really took off. Like it was a breakout trajectory year for us. So that always helps. Anytime you, you meet with someone, you share your plan, and then you come back a month later and it's like, hey, actually we're outperforming, outpacing. <laughs> so your price just went up. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was great. Like a great position to be in. I've never had leverage like that. And the other, the other thing was like, we could walk away at any point if we, if we didn't like it. Yeah. I, I'd done a lot of fundraising before and that I've never had a position of, of leverage like that. So that was cool. But as we were going through the process and talking to these different strategic acquirers, the other thing that kept jumping out was like, I don't, I don't want to just go be middle management at some big company that I already like have chosen not to work at anyways, because this doesn't align with what I want to do with my time. And so, you know, we're kind of going through is like, is this really, is this it? Is this the only path? Um, and we were talking to our bankers about it and they're like, you know, there's a, a huge ecosystem of financial investors that are really excited about this consumer subscription space. Um, let's, let's do a spike there. And so we started talking to some of the different financial firms out there. And that's where it got really, really interesting. Um, you know, I think I, I think we all probably have preconceptions about like private equity groups. Oh, like, like a you shutter know. when you said I know, that. Right? I just, <laughs> the, the, it dimmed, the light dimmed here when you said that. I know, because a lot of the classic ones, they're just, they're in your shorts about like your bottom line expenses and micromanaging and telling you to cut costs. And that's, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the stereotype at least. Totally. Right. right? Um, but there's this whole class of growth equity shops out there and, and we, we sort of plugged into it. And I would squarely put Spectrum Equity in that one. And the, the first time we talked to them, it was so clear. They're like, you guys aren't thinking big enough. I was like, what? I love that. Okay. Like, let's talk growth. You know, like, you guys need to be thinking global, right? And it was just like, there was so much alignment around this, this opportunity in front of us. And instead of like pulling the ripcord and just kind of being absorbed and integrated into something else, it's like, how about like, we really make a, make a run at this. And so the, the more we talked to them, the more it's like, yes, hell yes. And it wasn't just from like a, a funding perspective, you know, because if it was just that, like, again, then you just do an auction and you just see whoever's the highest bidder. But we really wanted, like, I needed a partner. I wanted a value-added partner there. I wanted someone who could bring in, um, you know, a sense of community, not have to reinvent the wheel all the time. That's always nice when you can plug into a portfolio of similar companies and just pick their brain. All right. Like, how did you guys do? Yeah. I mean, that's an under, that's an underappreciated aspect of raising versus like going at your own. It's like the network, like it's, I think VCs oversell it, but maybe founders undervalue it. Right. Like 100%. it Couldn't does, it does help. It does. It really does. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of went, yeah, I, I feel incredibly fortunate that we were able to partner up with Spectrum Equity. And so David, to your question, it's like it, for us, it was this huge unlock. It was this huge online, like we have another partner. Um, we're going to be more formal um, with our board structure and, you know, the, the, the sort of like metric, which is great. Like we needed to level up um, in our corporate diligence and everything. Um, 
and and they've been a they've been a partner and we've we've grown the board we've added more expertise and again like the the portfolio being being sister companies with with like headspace and the not worldwide and survey monkey whatever like these just cool companies that i respect and being able to you know hit up the ceo and be like okay how did you guys deal with this because like you said like there are a ton of challenges that come when you're going through that you know that the the slope of the curve at that point right like the true hyper growth curve suddenly like all right you know we can't fall back on on money as an excuse you know like it's purely an execution play and how do we do more faster? And that's honestly like, that's my, I think one of the coolest things I can say about my board, that the, the single biggest piece of feedback I get from them where they're just like yelling at me all the time in a great way, it's like, you got do more faster. Why aren't you doing more faster, right? Like that is the mantra here because everyone sees it's this great. opportunity, it's ours. It's ours to go take, right? But we got to execute and, and do it as fast as we can. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I'll say as somebody recently constructing a board, like that was sort of my, cause as a founder and as a CEO, like you're always, you're just, you're, you're at, you should be at the limits if you're doing your job right. right? Like you should be kind of feeling at least like thinking, you know, what your limits are and what the company's limits are. And it's nice, even if there isn't anything more you can do, it's nice to have some people who like ostensibly are aligned with you to be like, are you sure there's not more, right? Like, is there yeah. anything like, are you doing, like, could, could you change this? Like, could you go, go faster potentially? And sometimes the answer is no, but it does always kind of, you leave those board meetings going like, like, oh, maybe there is, right? like, maybe there is some way we could do this like better or faster, right? Yeah. And then you build a team, right? And that leads back to like the team growth and this, you know, this is our third year in a row of, of doubling headcount. Hopefully next year will be our fourth year in a row and all of the leverage I'm a big believer, like two things are the lifeblood for companies like ours. One is culture and the other is momentum. And you can't, if you lose either of them, you're fucked, right? Like you cannot take your eye off of either of those as a CEO, as a founder, whatever it is. Um, and so like building both, you know, they, they got to go hand in hand um, or you can sacrifice culture as you're doing the internal hyper growth. You better have an exit strategy, right? Like exactly, <laughs> it's not yeah. going to last very long. Cause you'll never get it back. That's exactly yeah. it, right. But, but generating momentum through like value added hires and raising the bar, bringing, you know, a, bringing in a plus. I love being the dumbest person in the room. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> and I'll just walking in there. It's like, all right, I'm going to learn something. Someone's going to teach me something cool. Um, and building a team like that. So it sounds like the biggest unlock for y'all taking the money was just the ability to hire faster, hire better folks, offer better pay. Um, but was there anything else that you feel like taking funding helped unlock for all trails? Did you, were you able to spend more, did you start spending more on, on user acquisition or ramping anything else up? Kind of ask a clarifying question and without like you sharing your term sheet or whatever, but like, did what, like these, these deals can be very different than like a venture deal, right? Where like almost always all of it hits the books and it's dilutive, uh, meaning that the company gets the money, but this was like kind of a buyout for the founder as an alternative to a sale. It's like, did you guys structure it? So some hit the books and not, or was it all to the founders or how, how did, or it, it, whatever you're comfortable sharing? We, we hardly took any primary capital in 2018. I didn't, I didn't want it. I didn't want it. Like I liked our organic trajectory. I didn't want to, and obviously I've gotten to know Spectrum a lot better. They're not built from the CNA, but you take money from a VC and the expectation is to, like the success metric is to spend it as, as hard and aggressive as possible because they're incentivized to keep you hooked, you know, on the next round. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to, you know, accelerate more like on the product development side of things, but I didn't want to get stuck in a, a, a growth model that's dependent on unsustainable paid acquisition, right? So um, almost the entire deal was secondary capital, um, which was great, which was which was great. And for the financially illiterate, i.e. me, like 18 months ago, primary yeah. would be the company gets the money, <laughs> secondary would be somebody who's already a shareholder gets the money. Exactly, the people on the, the cap table. Um, so it was buying out the founder, buying out the original investors, like really cleaning it out. It was a new chap, a new book altogether at that point. And, you know, start, sort of starting together. I think, you know, to, to the question earlier in terms of like the other value adds, like I really can't stress enough just the, the strategic value add that I was able to get. Like, again, because as a founder or as a CEO or as an exec, you're kind of stuck in your own head a lot. And you can talk to other founders, but, you know, there's this like culture, especially in Silicon Valley. Like, oh, great, we're crushing it. Yeah, everyone's crushing it. You know, no one's like, you know. I, I, I didn't, you didn't have to put air quotes around culture there, but like I could hear the air quotes yeah. around culture. You know, and very few people are like really open and transparent um, about the challenges and what have you. And yeah. so being able to go in um, and have this board that I trust 
that I, I feel like we're, we're all aligned. I've had boards, you know, especially VC back boards where you get like a different, uh, you know, venture capitalist from every round that you do. Like you have a lot of misaligned incentives. You have a lot of sharp elbows in a room. There, yeah. I was gonna say, there's a lot of, you know, these are all competitors in a lot of cases, totally. right? Hopefully you, you pick well and you have people that are professionals, but like you can totally end up in a situation where you have frenemies, right? Yeah. You're watching room. back at your own board. That's a horrible way to live. Whereas with this one, it was so clean. It was like, we we're owned by spectrum. This is great. I work at on their behalf. This is great. We got the two of them. There's me, and then and then, but to their credit, they're like, let's bring on two more operators. And so, you know, they didn't care about like, well, we have to have 51% plus of the seats. It's just like, no, let's just surround ourselves with really awesome people. And so we got, you know, we got the former CEO of Ancestry, um, who you know they know a thing or two about um, subscription businesses, and then we got the CEO of Robinhood, and obviously like they know a thing or two about hyper growth and. And everything else and again like so it's, it's almost like it's this team you know it's like this dream team where just collectively like they're helping me chart stuff like see things i wouldn't have been able to see on my own whatever the pattern matching yeah all of it. i mean i think it's 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 a good story in the sense that like you know i think i think we think too terminally sometimes about companies right like it's like they're born they are grown and then they get sold and then they die usually like nine times <laughs> yeah. out of 10, right? Like it's, it's not often that an inter like a sale goes well and the integration goes well, some spectrum of results. Right. But this is a result where I think you, you guys have a company that's too important to let die. Right. Like if you had sold, I don't know what, you know, your fangs or whoever was like, I'm sure I could see any number of massive tech company wanting this to be a part of their data set or part of their like social like aspects or whatever. It's just, I could see it plugging into a lot of things. But, you know, to get Google's exciting acquisition today, not saying you guys were talking to Google or not, but as an example, like their exciting acquisition today is tomorrow's like, you know, happy trails blog post, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a good name for the uh, the shutting down all trails uh, acquisition <laughs> at Google blog post. But, uh, but you know, and this is, a, this is a path where, you know, people who are passionate about the mission, the employees and the users, like can kind of you know, get that exit that people are looking for, but without like jeopardizing this thing that's important. And like, maybe this is very hippie, right? <laughs> but like, I think there is some aspect of companies that's beyond like the capital value and beyond like even like the culture, but like actually achieving the mission and 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 making that change in the world or, or providing that service that's, that's, that's more important than, you know, hyper growth or whatever. And look, I mean, we should get into talking about now like post round, but it sounds like you guys are in hyper growth anyway. Right. So it didn't, <laughs> it's not like it's, it's this false dichotomy of, right. Like either you're like raising from venture and you're like going at it really hard or like your lifestyle business or, you know, whatever. And it's just like such a, maybe whereas maybe us like lampooning this straw man of a false narrative has like most of the talking about those two like make that th that is the 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 totality of the false dichotomy is us talking about it but i really think this is a great example of like one of those like interesting you know outcomes and and stories so yeah tell us about yeah what what's happening now <laughs> i appreciate you sharing that specifically because even in researching it i listened to a couple of your other interviews I still assume that that there was a pretty big primary chunk that that went into the balance sheet of the company and then accelerated it from there. So it's an even more interesting story to me that that raise was mostly secondary. So from the three million dollar seed way back in whatever it was, 2012, 2013, it really has been a almost bootstrapped company and becoming what it is today on such little capital is really incredible and, and really kind of speaks to consumer subscription space and 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 how you can operate and go big without spending a ton of money if you do it right if you don't if you don't just plug into Instagram and blow five million dollars of VC money acquiring the wrong users if you actually talk to them and build a good product and everything else um, but I, I do want to jump in real on, go ahead I was just say on top of not only that, at, at the first board meeting that we had with Spectrum, uh, I, I walked in and I said, hey, you know, this is great. High five, super stoked. Uh, we're also, I, I think we should donate 1% of our revenue to environmental causes. <laughs> um, I know you guys just shelled out a whole lot of money, but would that be okay? <laughs> and to their credit, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And you know, one of the That's first amazing. things we did post-transaction was signing up for 1% for the planet, you know, like, there, there's totally a different path here. I, I didn't realize it. And I think it's cool for people. I don't know. I, I wish I heard this earlier in my career. Like there are, like you said, like it's not a 
dichotomy. Like there's so many different ways to do this. I think we end up fetishizing almost or like putting on a pedestal, this whole like massive VC round kind of stuff, you know, and there's a time and a place for it for sure. But like, that's not the success metric in and of itself. Like more often than not, especially for earlier companies, it's the death knell. And so I think that, uh, I'm always, you know, I get, I get hit up by people, you know, for, for whatever, all, all the time at talking about this kind of stuff. And so I was like, dude, if you can bootstrap it, if you can control your own destiny, like do it, you know, find right partners that are going to unlock growth and everything else. But like, don't fall, don't fall victim to that. Like just that story that you think is like the classic Silicon Valley startup story, which is you go out, you raise a big round and you have an IPO. It never works. It never works that way. Who would do that? Yeah, too many, man. man. Yeah. <laughs> Before we run out of time, I do want to know. So you, you're talking about like doubling, and so I'm guessing like the pandemic, like we've seen across the ecosystem, has been really. Especially, I can imagine there's two aspects to it, right? Like one, your digital service, and then secondly, like you're very good, compatible with like uh, uh, social distancing. So did you like think you would be having this conversation, whatever, four years after the Spectrum um, deal, like doubling every headcount every year? Because that's typically not what private equity company rate growth rates look like i know no it, it was i mean so I'll, I'll preface this by saying we were incredibly fortunate during covid and sometimes you just get lucky sometimes you get like there's a ton of great companies out there that just like had to pull yeah. sales reps out of the field or weren't equipped for like the supply chain issues or whatever it was right like we, we like you said we're a digital first company um we we already we had a, a somewhat distributed workforce so we we're already like using zoom and slack and Going fully remote, like we, we saw no no drop in productivity. Now, granted, like when when the world shut down mid March, that was a little bit scary, um, but we knew it would be temporary. I, you know how long? No one really knew. But by by mid April, we were going to our board and we're saying like, look, like I know things look a little <laughs> bleak right now, like the the machine has fully ground to a halt. But we think actually like this is going to be an insane accelerant. Once things open back up, there's nothing to do. Like you said, it lends itself perfectly to social distancing, you know, people who can't travel anymore, like, all right, we're going to explore mm. our local safe parks, about and, that. Yeah. you know, like we'll scratch that. It's that way. I got three kids and, you know, school is canceled and obviously, you know, summer camp forget. And it's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with these kids? And it's like, we're going to run them ragged on the trail. You know, every weekend, <laughs> just going on the trail and we're running them ragged. There's a good, there's a good ad campaign in there. Just like totally tired, right? <laughs> and so, sleeping kids in the back of a Subaru Forester. And it's like, run them out yes. on the trail. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, now, you know, we made, we did make a big strategic decision um, to get in front of it and, and start hiring like crazy um, and just make, you know, make a play, make a play. And, and again, like, Sometimes you get lucky, um, you know, that worked, that worked. All, all these companies around us um, that we were never, never able to like really poach from or whatever, suddenly like we're able to go grab their talent. Like not just from people who are like, oh, but people who are actively working there who are just like, I don't want to do this with my life anymore. Uh, I like spending time outside. I The number of people, the number of inbound applicants that like write in their cover letter, I was looking at which apps I use the most and I just started applying to those jobs. You know, I think that there really is this like really great and i applaud it and i love it and i hope it never stops people like taking more agency and control over their career and not just like reactively you know just doing whatever life throws you the, the ge i mean the geographic unlock of remote i think is a big part of that right Cause suddenly like you're you can just literally go on your phone and pretty probably at today nine times out of ten you're going to be able to work for that company depending on your like uh you know locale or like time zone totally. but uh it wasn't that way two years ago right not at all not at all exactly so a lot changed a lot has changed uh, in this time. And so, you know, with all of that, with, with the big accelerant they were seeing on the, on the usability side through 2020, um, you know, there, there is, uh, I think David, you had asked this like pre pre-show, um, you know, there's two big questions hanging over our business as we went into 2021. One is, are the registered users who we got last year during COVID, are they going to convert to pro? Like our conversion to pro happens over time. We, we look at a lot of stuff through a cohorted basis. And it just like, it goes up and to the right. It'll take years for some users to cross the line to pro, but it's great. It just keeps going up. So are the folks who, who signed up when there was nothing else to do, are they ever going to convert to pro or not? And then the other big question is all the folks who converted to pro in the height of the pandemic in 2020, once the world opens up, like, are they going to retain or are we going to have this huge, you know, the bottom drop out from under us? And so these were two questions kind of like hanging over our heads as we headed into sort of, we have a seasonal business. It, it follows the sun pretty much. 
Um, so as we headed into like May, June, July of this year, thankfully, thankfully, the, the answer for both was a resounding yes. Um, the folks who signed up last year are converting at a higher rate than normal. Um, and then the folks who subscribed are retaining at higher rates than normal too. And I think it's wow. kind of more of a testament to like how the like zeitgeist has changed a little bit post pandemic. And again, people are mm -hmm. like, being outside just makes people feel good. Like it's, it's that simple. It's not very complicated. You just feel, you feel better when you spend time outside and, and people are just incorporating it into their regular routines now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how it often with, you know, for positives and negatives, like sometimes you, I think you came up three cherries, right? You got like <laughs> for COVID, like it just, it just really lined up and then it's continued. Cause yeah, you say like a lot of, you know, talking about the hiring thing too, like a lot of habits changed during during COVID. And I don't think anything will necessarily go back, right? Especially if people have found a new happier maximum, right? Um, yeah. For their lives. And if, you know, you guys are part of that, that's great. Um, and that seems like, I don't know, we don't have total good analytic, uh, quantitative data on this, but it does seem, doesn't seem like the whole boost from last year totally collapsed um, this year. Like it seems like it just was like an accelerant. And I think there's other industries would sort of back that up. Yep. Well, we're coming up on time. Is there uh, anything else I should have asked you? No, this was fun, guys. I guess you guys are, you guys are probably hiring, right? We're hiring like crazy right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you use all trails, yeah, there you go. Any particular roles you want to shout out? I mean, we're always starving for great engineering talent. Android, iOS, front end, back end, DevOps, <laughs> security, all of it, all of it. PMs, product designers. Mapping designers, customer support, <laughs> well, gamut. The entire company, every department is is hiring right now. Well, it sounds like a really fun company to work for. I'll put uh, we'll put links to your uh, job page and and to your personal LinkedIn and a few other places in the show notes. But this is really fun chatting with you today, Ron. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. This was fun. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you.